0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 389. How are you all doing? Huge love to the response from everyone to last month's whole month of mental health specials under the, under the title of Where's Your Head At? Amazing reaction. And huge love to all the guests from Simon Pegg to Stephen Graham to Florence Pugh to Lena Heady to Papa S.A. Ado to Jordan Stevens to Jordan Gray to connie huck so many amazing people R- rob parker many more famous and non-famous um i really enjoyed all those conversations and it meant a lot that that you guys seem to be appreciative of them this week's episode has got a mental health tinge this week i'm chatting with laura dockrell who is one of my favorite people in the bloody world and i've had her on once before and kind of just after i had her on everything in her world turned upside down slightly and there was a lot of struggles a lot of mental health issues a hospitalization for mental health issues and she recently did the pod bible podcast with adam richardson and adam was raving about how amazing she is and i messaged her to say because adam didn't realize that we go me and laura go way way back like 10, 15 years, something like that, at least least 15 years, in fact. And I messaged her to say how awesome it was to have someone excited about someone I've continued to be excited about. And we decided that there'd been so much going on since our last chat that we should probably sit down and have a chat, so we did. And I was expecting it to get emotional. It got even more emotional than I was expecting. So, yeah, we'll jump into that. But before we do... Because the whole month of May was mental health specials and I was pushing people towards good causes, I've not mentioned my web store and my merch at all. And to be honest, last month was the the worst month I've ever had on my web store. So, you know, if, if you feel so inclined, head over to speechdevelopmentrecords.com and you can buy all sorts of merch, from clothes to CDs to vinyl to DVDs. British summer wear. So we've got sunglasses, jumpers, beanies, scarves, swimwear, genuinely swimwear. So women's sw- sw- swimsuits and guys' swim shorts. Um, loads of good stuff. So yeah, that's all over there. And we also actually had a Where's Your Head at Patreon Zoom special. So over at patreon.com forward slash pip, it's only like a dollar a month or a dollar fifty a month or something. And we all jumped on Zoom and discussed our mental health. So big thanks to everyone over there for being so open and honest. It was a really nice interaction. We do the Zoom hangouts every now and then, and I always upload them over there as well. So if you if you wanted to subscribe for a dollar and just have a look at what the deal is with, with the Zoom hangouts, you can watch the previous ones and then decide if you want to stick around on the off chance I do more because they're very sporadic. They're not scheduled or planned. It will always be like, who's about Thursday. <laughs> anyway, let's get on with this chat. Laura is an amazing author, now an amazing podcaster, and just an amazing human. And I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. And I hope you share it far and wide because it's an important one. And it's a topic that I don't hear discussed too much. I was learning loads about. Yeah, this is... Episode three hundred eighty nine of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the wonderful Laura Dockrell. This piece of fiction is the intro of destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro of destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro of destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to of destruction. Pieces. I'm here today with Laura Dockrell. How are you?
1: I'm really well, thanks. Yeah. I've, I mean, I look like I've got my own podcast now. I look like I know what I'm doing. And I really don't. I, I just put on um, Instagram today. Drew, Hugo had the audacity to actually draw me a record button and colour in the red bit. So I, I could,
0: saw it. It was absolutely adorable. I know. was going to
1: tag you, but I didn't know if you were going to keep this a secret. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know how private you were, how embargoed
0: this was. It was, it was the first <laughs> thing on my list to talk about. And I love that as said i mean we've got a lot to talk about basically because i mean the reason i just r- r- rush press and record was like i really want to just catch up and we may as well do it all all <laughs> on mic but one of the things that is on there is you've jumped into podcasting with some amazing guests and amazing episodes and i love that it's all through the guise of of, of hugo <laughs> drawing a little red record buttons for you and making Making sure it all works.
1: I like to think behind every podcast host is some sort of poor, tired, beaten up partner rolling their (laughs) eyes and scrambling around, (laughs) pressing record everywhere they go. I'm going to big you up actually for a second though because we were just um, having food before Hugo's gone off to work and then um, he was like, Pip really did did kind of start, did he invent podcasts? And I was like, Maybe he did. And I remember this happening with you and thinking, I don't really know what he's doing, but good for him. You know how people do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know how people do when they go, oh, he's just an artist doing another project. I don't know what it is. And now it's taken off. And I hope you get enough credit for that. He
0: looks as if he's very proud of what he's doing. So good <laughs> good on him.
1: I'm very pleased. And like everyone else is on I mean, oh, it is a lot of work. I'm only on um, episode number eight, and you're on seven thousand nine hundred
0: and sixty-two. The, 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 the biggest positive of it, of everyone now having a podcast is that they all suddenly appreciate podcasting. Because yeah, I've <laughs> I've I've done an episode every Wednesday for seven years now. Uh see, with, without a gap, without a week off, and as as you say, because podcasting started as, as this real DIY thing, I think it was looked upon a little bit like. All right, but like we've, we w- both will have seen in so many things we've done, there's always that, <laughs> that that overwhelming thought of they're waiting to say, but when are you going to get a real job? Or, 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 or what do you do for your actual job kind of thing 20. rather than... And yeah, podcasting has now started to get there.
1: What you're saying is maybe one day people will understand poetry still. That's what we're
0: all... I mean, that's it. I, I invented podcasting, I invented spoken word <laughs> and I invented beards. That's my three kind of things and gradually people get to understand them all and appreciate them and you know i've
1: got to say you're looking slick though boy i love this hair
0: <laughs> thank, you. thank you very much how, how weird was it when i mean we're just not going to talk about anything that we plan to talk about but no, how weird was it for you when spoken words suddenly started appearing on every advert because again it's oh something that, that we'd been doing in pubs for years that no one paid you for there was no career element
1: let me tell you what was weird going like this any minute that phone's going to be ringing for me. (laughs) Any minute now, just wait, and it's going to be off the hook and I'll be the new voice of Diet Coke. The phone, silencio. The
0: the phone rang for me on one of the first one of those adverts and it's when no one was paying anyone for it. So so the phone rang and got hung up quite quickly (laughs) and then all of a sudden it takes off and everyone's like, (laughs) it's, 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 it's big business. And I'm like, oh, man, I've already kind of told them that artistically I wouldn't accept it. It was artistic because the money wasn't good enough at that point. (laughs) Now the money's better. My artistic merit can can go out the window.
1: Funny that. I've matched that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, so so we spoke on this very podcast in June or July 2017. And it's weird. It feels like we, you know, just intentionally have big gaps in our interaction uh, so that it can be more dramatic and exciting when we do catch up. (laughs) Um, because at that point we probably hadn't spoken in a good f- a few years, or, f- or since the spoken word scene, really. Yeah. And in that period, you'd become a wonderful and celebrated author. So a lot had happened, and it feels like just as much has happened since then, if not more. Oh so yes, stuff's happened. We we were having a bit of a text because you were on the Pod Bible podcast. Which I, loved I it. love this nice guy. I, loved it. I got a, a message off Adam, who I work with on Pod Bar, would say, Mate, I've just recorded with the best person. Um, I think you should have her on the podcast. She's amazing. Her name's Laura Dockrell. I was like, Yeah, I know. And I, I, I've been knowing how amazing Laura is for over 10 years now. So, But it did make us kind of go, We should probably have a catch up. And we joked that literally the podcast would be me saying, So what's been going on? And then you talking for an hour on everything that's been going on. But um, It's not that much of a joke.
1: Unhinges jaw, cracks knuckles. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) But a lot has been going on. And a lot of it I know about and have read amazing articles about and amazingly honest social media posts. But a lot of it I don't know. So do you want to kind of go in on the kind of... uh, Definitely. What's happened?
1: I'm up for that. Sure, so doing the poetry circuit with you i think this is probably a good place to start i always felt a bit like a fraud i guess in writing because i feel like for uh, writing sort of comes along hand in hand with romanticizing mental illness in a way that you're sort of seen as a more authentic genuine writer or author
0: 100% if you
1: know this dark place and then you're this writer that's scramping around you know the Jane Eyre woman in the attic sort of thing or you think of everyone that you you know you, you all come as kind of it's really sad but you expect it at school you know so and so and so and then they died of suicide I'm thinking of Sylvia Path for example yeah, yeah. then you get to the point where I felt like many times in the room like what have I actually got to say you know I'm kind of mm. as normal as they come that's honestly how I felt kind of uninteresting and um normal basically um by the way I definitely wasn't saying I was feeling that way I was saying that that's often the uh, stereotype of what the writer of course of
0: course like I've I've kind of I've said before that I always remember I always use an example of uh, uh, when I was at my most angsty just after a breakup emotional cry myself to sleep type moment (laughs) I genuinely had a moment just before I fell asleep where I went I'm going to get some good songs out of this, (laughs) because it is, you become, it's a really weird thing because you become, and I think a lot of people have started to see it through social media, but when you're a writer, you start to have to question if you're living for the page or living for the audience, and that's really worrying because you do start to think I'm doing these things, comedians have it as well, it's like I'm living these experiences because I need stuff to write about. How much of totally. it am I living because I want to live it? And I think we see it with social media now. There's so much that I'm doing oh, this for the gram or for whatever This or will for look great on the gram, sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really weird a, thing. It is a weird thing. But natural, I, completely natural. Na-
1: well, it, when, when I was, I noticed that all my work I ever put on stage really was fictional, was me being another character. And that's because yeah. I'm a massive fan. We've talked about this before, but, you know, French and Saunders and... Harry Enfield, all the stuff that I grew up with, um, character pieces, massive influence by film, by by children's books, by characters, people, um, and then the truth is though, when something bad does happen to you, it's the last thing you want to do is yeah. write about it and relive it. And um, because, well, for me certainly, the most thing I felt was fear, like a kind of ulcer in the back of my mouth, and your tongue's prodding it. Like, will this, will this? open the can of worms, the Pandora's box is going to get lifted again and it's all going to happen again. I was completely kidnapped by fear. I I felt like my illness, well, I'll explain my illness um, in a minute, but my illness um, had me in a sort of chokehold and was up close in my ear going, if you tell anyone about this, I'm going to come back and it's going to be 10 times as worse. What do you think you're going to do? Go on Strictly Come Dancing for postpartum psychosis. Like, is that what you think? And I only was saying that bit to colour in, I guess, where you and I come from, which is like the writing world. And I didn't think I would ever get through this i didn't think i would ever i guess the the book and coming out of this you're talking about the articles and everything even a little bit even this what i'm doing with you now a little bit of me is thinking and i guess i've never really spoken about it in this way before but they almost are like messages in a bottle where you're hoping that if this illness was to come back and get me at least i've got this now recorded with you and you've got your backup on zoom and you've got this recorded so that you know i or i could listen back to it myself when i'm if I go off again so I can go, you know, this wasn't your fault. You have perspective, you have insight. There is an intelligence there of some degree.
0: It's it's a really interesting one because I think we're really positively in a space now where speaking about mental health openly is welcomed, is encouraged, is celebrated. But with that can come real struggle. And real and and real issue. I, I, number one, I think it it can become addictive. I think spe- yeah. being that person who's speaking openly can become addictive and can keep you in that 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 cycle. But I mean, I mean, I found it. I've spoken a few times about it. I became a patron of the British Stammering Association. I always stutter on cue at that point. Um, Do you of, of, of the British Stammering Association? And I was really proud to. I've always been fine about my stutter, but I found that when I had a real block of doing a lot of promo about it and helping them out, it got to me. And it was the first time in years I'd felt that I was the bloke with a stutter kind of thing rather than who I am and all these other things. Mm. And it's weird. I think it's, it's something that is going to have to be kept an eye on more and addressed more. Again, obviously, we've both been mental health advocates and that for many years, but I think it's great where we are, but we have to keep an eye on the expectation on people to talk about it and to come on this show and to do this and to do that when that could have a really negative effect. So
1: I think yeah. you're totally right. I think it's generous of you to say that to me though, because I don't think that I really was that. I, I right. think that I was one of those annoying, punchable people that goes, <laughs> Life is brilliant. What's <laughs> wrong with everybody? Like, why isn't everyone laughing? Which is great. You know, I was thinking about this today, um, this morning before talking to you. And I realised that it's not that I, I feel like I've spent so, a little bit like I suppose you could liken it to this pandemic in some sort of way on a personal note, which is, you know, I've been, was so trying to get back to who I was, the old me, yeah. when actually what it was about was just accepting the change and accepting that the good the b- good things and the bad things that have come from this.
0: Yeah, completely. The, 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 the stuff that you've learnt as a human and, it's such a cliche what doesn't kill you makes you stronger but there are elements of that in these in these emotional things and it would almost be an injustice to go back to to <laughs> to, 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 to 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 you before I guess so I mean I guess l- 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 let's talk about what sure what happened and what your str- struggles and illness were
1: sure so um I've never had a history of mental Illness. I don't think I've even had more of a, more of that feeling. You know, when you come out, I remember watching Titanic at the cinema of my friends and I was 11, uh, 12 or something. We'd like sneaked in to a 12 movie and, and come out and it was like three o'clock in the afternoon. And I felt sad because we'd all enjoyed really cathartic crying our eyes out coming out of the cinema and being like, Oh, I feel weird. Like. I feel, and now I know that feeling is dread. So that feeling of doom. And I was like, ooh, I feel like the sky feels weird. Night, Time feels abstract. And it just lasted about 10 minutes. I've had little things like, if I don't cross this, Crossing in the next three seconds, whatever, and uh, or we don't get past this racist red car on the road, I'm going to die. Sort of yeah. feeling, yeah um those kind of OCD intrusive thought things, racing myself to finish a glass of water around my teens when my parents were breaking up. But again, short lived and nothing that was consuming that made me feel like I needed to see anybody about it or that I couldn't live my life. So three and a bit years ago, after the birth of my son, I, I spoke to you when I was pregnant. Um, Had a very healthy pregnancy, completely normal, like uh, normal with bunny ears, obviously, speech marks, but um, healthy, no reason, no warning signs where anything could go wrong. My mum had suffered with postnatal depression and I had said that to the midwife, but she said, that's okay, don't worry, like it wasn't, she wasn't hospitalised or anything, so it's okay. Ended up being two weeks overdue and needing to have an induction, which is when they put like a sort of tampon loaded with hormones inside you and that's meant to bring on contractions. Yeah. But it just sort of fell out like a little old dead mouse. Um, And I was like, oh. And then um, basically, I thought I'd be coming back home that night, even though I was two weeks overdue. But very quickly, it became clear that I wouldn't be leaving. Um, And there was no real sense for me of a cheerleader. So I really didn't feel like I had. And I'm not blaming. This is not my time to call out the NHS after everything everyone's been through. But I really felt like I had not one person to sit with me and go across everything. This is what's happening. I just suddenly realized very quickly we're in panic stations scenario. My pregnancy was very uneventful, very quiet and slow and peaceful. So suddenly within this like last moment to be this, 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 this constant, my machine, you know, you have this machinery around you was, bleeping and sirening and it suddenly you know doctors were rushing in telling me more and more information which we realized pretty quickly that what was going on was that Jet was born small that's all they could give me small potentially chronic that's what they kept saying which meant that what happened but I didn't know this at this point was that my placenta had failed so essentially Jet was inside where there was me eating cheese toasties thinking he was going to come out like a prize pumpkin he'd actually been starving inside me so his he'd got fat and then my placenta had failed so the longer he was inside me he was starving which wow. gave me already these immediate signs of thinking um a thought sorry of thinking a, a womb is meant to be this like sanctuary of like thriving i imagine it in my brain all pink and squashy and lovely and just you know a, a lovely wholesome place and then i suddenly thought oh was it was it like a dungeon in there was it really empty and cold and horrible was he already suffering and that just made me feel horrible thinking of myself just watching tv watching the office and eating food while he was going through that and then um, emergency, delivered emergency caesarean, which I had to kind of call in the end because they kept throwing all these other various ways of, of labour. But It was just seemed like he was struggling. He um, pooed inside me, which they call that meconium. So as soon as they mm-hmm. see that on the bedding, it means the baby's in stress. Anyway, we got kept in a ward uh, for seven days because Jet and I were both patients in our own right. He was born small, um, just under five pounds, which is pretty small. Not the smallest, but small. And I had gone through my own surgery, so we were both patients. The ward, to anyone who's ever been there, it's kind of like, imagine like a kind of, I guess like a, I don't know why I'm thinking this, but like an average McDonald's size (laughs) room (laughs) with eight beds. A Pret. Imagine a Pret with eight beds and uh, you're sharing a room. It's kind of like a carousel of hell. So everyone's there for different reasons. You know, you've got babies crying, parents crying because there's some sort of difficulty or challenge they've had to go through, some more than others, um, some real tragedies. And um, it's, you can't get sleep, you can't rest, you can't feed. And Jet had, because he was underweight, he wanted to feed for 24 hours straight. So... I'm not saying this to be a hero, but, you know, I caught sight of my birthing notes. It was like 18 hours, five minute break, six hours of straight feeding, you know, to have gone from one person to never feeding before to just doing that. They're quite strict for obvious reasons, the midwives about how you do all this stuff. So you can't keep the baby on your chest and, and sleep, you know, you have to put the baby down, but he did not want to go down for a single second. I mean, he worked at that breastfeeding boy. Wow. And um, I just began to feel like this is impossible. I became feral. I got a rare side of the epidural um, side effect. So I wanted to scratch like all over. So I, I was scratching with my toes, like my legs were bleeding. And wow. I was, I'm vegetarian, but I was like eating chicken carcasses. Like <laughs> I was just like, when I think back at that time there, I was, Monstrous, primal, just didn't care, boobs out, just like, get this done, basically. Thought when I get home, everything will be okay. But when I got home, things were not okay. Our house sort of felt like, you know when you go into like a holiday house or you go to stay somewhere that clearly hasn't been touched for a while it just felt ghostly and desolate and I just didn't recognize it even though we'd only been away a week there was this wild storm called um storm Emma who was a great depression and she just was in March uh sorry mid-February right through to March she just spanned the whole world like a sort of snow globe so everything just felt really altered and weird and I knew something in me was different but I didn't know what that was. I'd never had a baby before. I've never had more than, you know, I, you know me anyway. I'm not a particularly wild party girl. I've never, norm, I've never had one day of a kind of more than one night of a sleepless night. So hadn't slept for over a week at this point. Yeah. Had palpitations. And I was like, so we all got in the bed, Hugo, Jet and I. And I just said to Hugo, he fell asleep instantly. I don't know how the hell he did that. And I just said, <laughs> something's not right. I just don't feel normal. And he was like, everything's fine. We just had a shock. I was like, no, 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 no. And within days, I completely
0: unravelled. Mm. Again, it's kind of—I mean, it's so much to go through anyway. But so much to go through out of nowhere. It's—it's yeah. it's, it's weird how such a a nice and warm and comfortable pregnancy almost feels like it worked against you because there was no warning <laughs> sign, no prep. <laughs> you are kind of doing that kind of that dream of I'm—I've—I've I've got pregnant. I've—I've ha- I've got a baby, and now I'm going to go and give birth. And it's all roses and 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 sunshine and rainbows and then you got in that dorm and a a a light switch was switched as such that it just everything was a horror film almost oh
1: totally and i couldn't keep up with everything you know it was like one seconds your midwife stuff thrashing the curtains open every second to be like don't hold the baby like that hold it like that injection jab you know we need to do your uh whatever your blood whatever it's no what is it a heart rate whatever it is the thing was, I was getting a symptom of creeping blood pressure, but the problem is the anxiety and everything was only inflaming the blood pressure. So it was just mm. a vicious cycle. I feel like Sounds I could talk about yeah. this stuff with you because I'm a massive Blind Boy fan. And um, yeah. I know you, you've you yeah. done, a, uh, I mean, he, he will never know how much he helped me in those um, recovery days because oh, he... Wow. His psychological analysis yeah. um, podcasts are just so precious to me, and really help me with CBT because we'll we'll talk about this in a minute. But he has one thing when he uh, said that he felt like he was half an hour for a bit, and I can t- I mean that's out to the untrained ear who can't imagine what that's like. I at this point, I wouldn't If I was so unwell, if so, if somebody said to me, "You're this pencil now," I'd go, "Oh, I better get used to life as a pencil because that's where I'm at." Like that's how poorly I was, yeah. and yeah. it's difficult because how do you put these things into to words? And it come, creeps back now. I have to live alongside this. You know, oh. now I'll go. I'll see something and some. Even the pandemic. One of my neighbours, when Boris Johnson got coronavirus, one of my neighbours said to me, I just want to let you know that um, the media's lying to us and he's dead. And I said, sorry? And she went, the the papers are lying to us and he's already dead. He's died. I'm really sorry to tell oh, you wow. this because this is quite scary. And I, it was the first time I spent on a movie, I felt like my legs were jelly and I just had to sit down. I was like, oh, my God, because suddenly the world was like, is anybody even alive in this whole road? Is anybody alive over there? Is anybody alive? And I for a second I had to just grip onto my brain and be like, just hold on to the now. Like things like that can just be like, yeah. and I don't, anyone going through this this pandemic that already has those seeds of those, of that illnesses, yeah. I just feel for them so much. So, so
0: I, I guess, how was it getting support initially from both from the NHS and from Hugo? Because these things, it's really common when you've been through something like that, to be on edge for a bit. Do you know what I mean? If, if you've had a week of no sleep, if, if you've had oh. a big operation and then you're continuing to get really l- limited sleep. So I can completely understand how there will be a period where it's almost being d- dismissed with the best intentions. Because as you've said, these things blood pressure-wise can be self-fulfilling or self-perpetuating. So you, you'll panic that you're not well and that will make you not well. So totally, people totally. will quite rightfully try and be calm and rational and get things under control. Because as I said, if you've had any period of lack of sleep, it's completely natural that everything feels a bit weird. I can completely see. I know when I've had jet lag and I've been home in my own house and I've had that exact feeling, as you were saying, how it feels like it's not quite your house at the Mm, moment. It's somewhere else. There's something not right about it. So those things are normal, but also they're the telltale signs of something worse and something that's going to need more help so it's it's a a tough balance that you may have felt that you were being ignored because you kind of were for a period um <laughs> but it was with good intention so yeah how totally. was that i guess
1: yes well okay so there's lots of things going on so first of all uh i don't want to forget them. there's so many things so first of all yeah. i have a baby there that needs me it was i mean really that's practical. new <laughs> that's really fucking new
0: yeah
1: and scary yeah an underweight baby And there's all this mad stuff that you'll only know once you have a baby, I guess, unless you really like to research this intense stuff after you have a baby. But they go, oh, gotcha. Once you have the baby, the baby actually loses more weight before it gains it. And you're like, so what? So then it became this real project, feed this baby, get this baby's weight up. Then he got jaundice. Then we found out he had tongue tie. So all this is going on. Meanwhile, I've got got—I've been cut open. So I've never had an operation in my whole life, thankfully. So I'm there going, okay, my I couldn't stand up straight. They don't tell you about, even if you have a caesarean, you bleed so much anyway. Mm. Um, I had all my scars on. Then up my boobs, I'm obviously making milk, and I'm going through all the, as you say, sleeplessness. Then I've got these weird feelings that I can't quite grab hold of. So I've got racing thoughts. Delusion, mania at points, um, intense anxiety, intense depression. None of these feelings I've ever felt before. Intrusive thoughts, OCD thoughts. Feeling like within hours I'm shifting from one person to the next. This is at this point, suicidal thoughts weren't really there, but I they were, thoughts were coming at me so quickly it was hard to identify what was real or, or not. On top of that, the way that illness has a way of making you lie. To mask it, and you're always trying to battle because you're like, yeah. if I let the doctor know too much, they're going to take my baby away from me. I don't want to, and even if they incarcerate me or imprison me, or I don't know, I didn't know what my future. I've only ever seen cinema films. I'm, I was naive at this point, so I didn't, and uneducated, so I didn't know where I was going to go. Where does someone like this look like? I didn't want to mess it up for Hugo, so I wanted to be like everything's really safe at home because I didn't want Hugo to go, great, now you've got my baby taken away from me, thanks for that. So it was a complete Amazing. balancing act the entire time. There wow. were a few, I was going to the NHS, that's the one thing I'm so proud of myself for, is that I went to the doctors every day and I was going, I, no, I'm not. I remember once they got a helpline to call me, the doctors, like a scheduled call, um, I could hear, and this is no disservice to anybody, but I could just hear that the person on the other end of the phone was, out of their depth and that wasn't even in my illness it almost felt like things like that kept happening to me that the person I would always be met with was like ah I don't quite deal, know how to deal with this yeah. um and I just remember having to turn the volume down on my phone so low because they she was saying you know have you got suicidal thoughts and I was just like yes do you feel like you're in imminent danger now and I was like yes I did but my part you know Hugo and my sister are sitting there and I don't want them to hear what I'm
0: Wow. saying
1: plus yeah. then the pressure of sleeping when everybody knows what you need to do is sleep and your whole family which was incredible I'm so grateful to my family but my house became like Glastonbury festival yeah. <laughs> like everyone was camped out so then it was like go to sleep then and I, I almost felt like a fairy tale princess that had to sleep you know and if yeah. she sleeps her prince charming is gonna and then that was just obviously pushing sleep further and further away yeah. everyone was coming up with these sleep remedies for me I also do think, though, I was doing a pretty one thing I have is words, right? Well, I talk. So I did feel like I had the ability, no matter how weird it sounded, to say, I I don't know what this is, but every time an ambulance or police car is coming by, I think it's for me. I don't know if this is a suicidal thought, but I really want a train to just come out of nowhere and take me with it. Like, I just, I felt like, you know, those quizzes you get when it's like, which backstreet boy are you going to marry? Are you A most likely to B? Every single solution would just end in suicide, and I just know yeah. that's not normal. Especially on the other, the other next level is that what's meant to be the happiest time of your life because that's the expectation, the pressure that's put on us as new parents to live up to, and it's just unrealistic and corrosive.
0: It's it's it's, it's, it's one of the reasons I think when people are comfortable having these conversations and it's not at risk of their own. Health—they're so important to have because I—I completely agree. Almost everyone I know who's had a kid has had some kind of "got ya" moment. Like once they've had it, <laughs> where it's like everyone was telling me this is the best thing in the world. I've—I've—I've—I've I've, I've, I've got a no. group message of, of of guys, and a lot of them are parents. And one of the guys in there was contemplating having a kid. Everyone was like, it's the best thing you'll ever do. It's amazing. And I was looking on going, all right, that's cool. It's not for me at the moment, but it's great that they're all supportive. And then as as soon as he had his kid and was up all night and was stressed and all this, they were like, oh yeah, man, it's the worst. Oh, you need to, (laughs) there was no mention of the negatives prior, but now there's all like, oh yeah, no, that's exactly what it's like. And
1: Yeah, but you've nailed it. This is it. The only people that truly ask you how it is, is pregnant people or people that are expecting. So you don't want to go, Hey, welcome to the biggest trap of life. This is the conspiracy which is keeping us is, 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 in existence. I was honestly thinking that Pip. I was thinking, how is the world not stopped? Because this isn't normal. I'm not having another baby again. That this was not the best day of my life. This now, you <laughs> and me talking, is a much better day for me. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, it's such a weird thing. And obviously, there's for some people, it's it's it, it is this the that's wonderful and amazing. I'm I'm not speaking against the idea of having children. Obviously it's a wonderful (laughs) gift and a joy, but the honesty and the balance is key. I think in every situation you should know what you're going into. The reason people have multiple children is because they go, yeah, that was fucking rough, but (laughs) I know what I'm going into and I want to go through it again for this bit or for that bit. And, you know, it's... But that honesty should be there from the start because there's a lot of people who, who don't get that. Um, how it's, it's, it sounds like a weird one to say. How was it? Um, no, it's a, it's the stupidest question ever. But it's no, it's jumping out at me as even more troubling because I think the reason I see you or, or, or I have seen you as a mental health advocate or whatever is because you've always got such positivity and you're not someone who's 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 who will have faced anything like this in the past. So that's that must have been so alien and so worrying and scary at an already vulnerable time. Not that it's easy at any time, but if you've always had that life where you have your ups and downs, you develop a level of getting used to it. And sure. I can speak on that from insomnia. Um, I, I get a lot of insomnia. I'm now more comfortable with the fact that sometimes I'm not going to sleep And it is what it is. It'll be all right in the end. It's not worth fighting. And again, it becomes self-perpetuating. The more you're going, well, now I've only got four hours until I have to get up. Well, now I've only got three hours until I have to get up. But equally, because of that, I also know the endless list of advice from people who don't suffer from insomnia on how to sleep and how to do it so and it's like i can't even up, imagine you know. that in that situation as as well in in a situation where everything is already that bit more intense i th- I feel again the only advice i would have given would have been yeah it's gonna come or it's not try not to stress over it too much but again that's not that helpful at the time but because i've got that experience of it i now know that that helps me but as long as i'm l- laying down and i've got my eyes closed or whatever my body's Getting some kind of rest or recovery, and yeah, but yeah, that must you have know, been. You know, it's
1: funny talking to you now. If you, if I'd done this with you a year ago, even uh, like insomnia for me was the most long-lasting symptom I got out of all yeah. my symptoms. And I mean, I'm I fell asleep standing up watching Bjork at Glastonbury. Like <laughs> I can sleep anywhere, yeah. and when people are barking in your face, you just need to sleep. You just need to sleep, and you think I've spent 31 years on the planet. Sleeping just fine, actually. So now I couldn't. And now I've had to do a lot of work and most of it has been around fixing my sleep. And Mm. insomnia suddenly became this word. Like on my autocorrect on my phone, I can't even type spaghetti now about my phone going schizophrenia. You know, I go to type like inside and my phone goes insomnia. It's like, yeah, all right, can't chill out you. But I'm so grateful because these big words now that I knew nothing about are now casually, confidently in my vocabulary. And I'm so grateful for that because you telling me to this now, I know as well how it feels to have, I actually feel like I was giving myself insomnia because after psychosis, you, um, I should have said that. That's what I was diagnosed with was postpartum psychosis. And I was hospitalized um, for two weeks away from, jet um in a psychiatric ward in general oh, psych. Oh,
0: at what point was that like how old was so jet, jet at that was point? jet was
1: three weeks so three it got weeks, to the wow. point where my delusions were just so bad I, this is the such a sad thing about mental illness is i mean i was in my my brain was having a heart attack that's oh. it. Like, it was extreme emergency. If you look up my illness on the NHS, it says medical emergency. So this is a medical emergency. Like, every single symptom of it, they're all the buzzwords that anyone needs that someone is really poorly all at once, plus a newborn. So how I could have just waited, you know, people say, oh, if you just wait till Monday or get on this course of antidepressants or try and speak yeah. to somebody, this isn't that. If If my brain was turned inside out on the outside... You know, this is Kill Bill after, after Uma Thurma's sliced you up with a knife, like scenario. Yeah. My arms and legs are all hacked off. That's how I felt inside. Yeah. Um, and fortunately for me, everything was internalized. So nothing was a threat to Jet at that moment. That said, I wouldn't have been able to care for him. You know, I didn't, I wasn't going to do anything to him, but I didn't feel safe with him. Um yeah but i was hospitalized in general psych so not a mother and baby unit so when i woke up i mean that first morning when i woke up there was nothing like it i didn't know that's why the book's called what have i done because i was like i don't know where i am who i am have i committed a crime have i where am i my again my uneducated self that's just watched too much movies and many movies and seen the sensationalized tabloid version of what somebody with a mental illness looks like you know thought that for me it was one flow over the cuckoos next SNES scenario. And of course mm-hmm. it isn't that I've revisited the hospital and I was like, Oh, everybody just looks like everybody. <laughs> and yeah. of course I could end up in a room like this. Why shouldn't I? Couldn't I end up in a room like this? Yeah. Um, and, um, but afterwards, you know, I was left. I, I felt like I'd sort of been on this involved in this shipwreck where I was at the Island where I needed to be. And everyone was at the Island, but I had seen something that I couldn't come back from. And I would just lie there picking apart my illness going you didn't really look after your hamster that well when you were a kid you weren't always that good at looking after plants maybe this was all leading to this maybe this because of this because of that and that insomnia that completely controlled my life i became so triggered by it you know like um If you're looking to buy a house, all you're looking at all the time is for sale signs. It's like, all I would notice was I became obsessed with any character in in any TV program that could continue to do their life while struggling with insomnia. I was like, well, they're doing it. They're doing it. I became drawn or connected to anyone I met that had sleep issues. Like, just fascinated. How did they live and process? Because with a newborn on top of that, it's just impossible. And I was on also a lot of medication too, so... Falling into the world of meds was also a big shock for me. You know, I'm, I've never done a drug. I don't like an altered state of mind. I, I worry about taking a paracetamol, or as if, or if there's wheatgrass in a smoothie, I panic about it. <laughs> yeah. So, taking suddenly falling into this world of doctors, and when you have already got paranoia and conspiracy theories and delusions, and then trusting these Harley Street or NHS doctors from around the corner, everybody just, no, I could felt like I felt like people were either trying to rob me, or they weren't professional enough, or they're too professional, or So we just it was a real case of just faking it till I made it, basically. I think
0: medication is another discussion that isn't had enough because I certainly had a period, because of personal experiences with a close friend of mine, I was definitely on the route of medication for mental health stuff is bad. It's going to numb them. It's going to send them into these different areas. It's not going to make them themselves. It's going to cause paranoia. It can cause schizophrenia all of these things and that's all completely true but it's not a catch-all in many situations medication is absolutely essential again my ignorant mind having not experienced it was like no you you need to be fixed you know in your mind and in this and in that not chemically you need to be fixed with conversation and with therapy and all these things and yeah all those things are great but sometimes that can be with a medication alongside it so how was it to start with that fear and then build a relationship with your pills as such and understand which bits are key to you being you rather than numbing you they're allowing you to be you how how did that all go I guess
1: I'm feeling quite emotional I'm talking about this meds with you because <clears throat> I think my um Journey of medication has been difficult because I, um, and beautiful too, but in learning to embrace them. I'm not on any medication now. I'm fine to say that. I didn't say whether I was or wasn't a lot of the time because I don't want people to compare recovery and I don't think it's helpful or healthy. Yeah. Um, it was very scary. The first time I taken an antidepressant, My parents have not sat in a room together on their own for 15 years and then they were shoving it in my mouth like a child going, just take it, just take it, just take this tablet, please. At this point, I was so catatonic, you know, I was, you wouldn't have seen me how you're talking to me now, you know. Yeah. I also was ignorant at thinking that you take one. You know, I've got friends that joke now, they go, I'm having a really shit day. Do you mind if I come over and take one of your antidepressants? And I'm like, don't really work like that. (laughs) Wouldn't even notice a difference. You might as well go and take a Tic Tac. Like it takes ages to work, which is the difficult bit too. But um, of course, for anyone that's beginning a course that expects a quick overnight fix. I thought for some silly reason, exactly for all the reasons you've said, which I completely understand, you know, it's that it's, um, I was the same, I thought it was going to make me numb and weak and I love life, I'm someone that gets so buzzed off of like any anything, Any, I literally get buzzed off life, I am gas for life, so... Thinking all of that is going to be taken away from me was really scary. I'm going to miss out on the child's life.
0: As an artist as well, there's kind of that outlook that oh, your your unique that, voice is going to be muted.
1: <sighs> totally. And, and um, yeah, and going back to what we were saying at the start, of feeling like you're not genuine, you're not real, you t- t- you've taken the meds as if you're a failure. Mm. The truth is I was no shiny per- pearl in that time. I was... A hot mess. Like, let's be honest. I was not, I, my mum only just got the guts to tell me that the other day that apparently I was saying to her, I'm fading away. I'm fading away. It's like, if you're fading away, why would you question taking a little bit of meds? How I see it now is it was, it was a life jacket that I needed. I was out there right, in the ocean on my own drowning and the medication was a life jacket. They didn't pull me out. If if meds were the, so- the solution to everything, everyone would be taking meds and there would be nobody going around feeling shit. Everyone would yeah. be feeling absolutely brilliant if it was yeah. great to meds. I still had to draw attention to somebody. I had to blow a whistle. I had to climb onto a boat. I had to get warm and eat and get fit and strong again all by myself. That wasn't because of meds. Um, and also there's a sort of feeling like as if you... When you, with recovery, that if you take meds that medication or help along the way, that you score a sort of bronze in the athletics of life. Like, no, but you, did you take help? Oh, now you're bronze. And actually, it doesn't friggin' matter how you get there. And I feel so grateful to know that there's all these Spider-Man webs that can shoot out whenever they need to, to hold me. And if that's medication, I'm so glad that somebody invented it. I remember it was a a therapist that actually said it to me. She went, you feel differently to to me about meds. You resent your meds. You push your meds away. She was like, well, I'm so grateful for them. Every day I thank the Lord that medication exists because Mm -hmm. it saves people's lives. And then I realized, which was acceptance, which I had to learn all about, um, which Blind Boy helped me with, but has helped me so much, accept the meds. And as soon as you accept the meds, like the sleep, like the insomnia, they start working because you've accepted it.
0: It it can be an amazing thing because, again, it's also worth highlighting that it's all case by case. It's all individual and it's so personal. What will work for some or will be bad for some will be right for others. And it's also interesting as well. You spoke earlier of things kind of self-perpetuating. I think that's a powerful thing with meds as well. Yes, 100% they take their time to work but when you've experienced them working t- taking one if you've been off them and you're feeling in struggle t- taking one can be a huge help because you know it's all it's le- it's going to level out like it's not actually going to have this instant effect but it may almost feel like it because it removes that that initial panic and it makes you feel like
1: something's on. happening, something, yeah. someone has given me something. And maybe if it could be placebo, it could be psychosomatic. But I should also say that I wasn't just on antidepressants for anyone that is thinking, oh, you just, you know, I also had to take antipsychotics, okay. which were necessary. And because I was a druggy virgin, I took to those really well. And <laughs> then, then I needed to double my dose because I then I went off again. But um, I was on extremely strong sleeping medication. Out of all the medication, for some reason, the sleeping medication bothered me the most because I felt like, fine, okay, I got to the point where I understood I was ill. An illness had happened to me, like being hit by a car. But the sleep, it felt like I... When you can't sleep, I'm sure you felt this as well, and it's horrible, but you feel unsafe.
0: Mm. You
1: feel... Like one of your basic pillars of being a human has been taken away from you and you feel extremely unsafe. You feel like everyone else in the world is fast asleep and functioning and you have slid out. Yeah. And no one will ever understand what you've gone through or going through. And so being on the sleep medication just made me feel that extra bit broken, I think. Right. And I would just look at Jet, you know, the idea is that the baby doesn't sleep and that's why you're awake. So it just felt really weird. He was a really good sleeper, but I had this perfectly <laughs> sleeping baby next to me. Yeah. And I was, you know, not able to. And that. Yeah.
0: You're meant to be the explanation. For- for this. You're meant I to justify what I'm yeah. doing.
1: I would actually would lie. I remember yeah. lying. I'm, I mean, I've never said this either, but I would be at like baby groups being like, God, yeah, he's kept me up. I'm just not sleeping. And I'd be like, in my brain, I'm like, you're, you're lying to me. I am yeah. your brain. Why are you lying? Because yeah. I was ashamed. It's so weird how those basic, you know, disturbances that everybody will have or go through um happens to us all but I still lied you know the things that you think is most personal are always the most most universal so yeah Yeah, medication is different for everybody but I would say do you know what whatever works do whatever works try do not give up just do whatever you have to to get I I goody goody two-shoes my way out of that illness that's the truth
0: yeah so so how was it as you started to come out out the other end and when did you decide that you were in a place to start writing about it or even to start t- t- talking about it. As said, it's it's clear that with all these things, there's a level of – you kind of stumble into a level of deception because you don't want people to know. As said, mm. initially it would have been you didn't want them to take your child away, but then you get into that habit and you don't want people to worry, for example. It's always with good intention, oh. but it becomes a thing where you're like, all of this has happened and – kind of no one knows about it the only people who know about it are sworn to an oath of secrecy because they they they're in medical in in the medical profession did this really happen it's important that it happened so in many ways it's important that people know about it if you know what i mean otherwise it is just this haze this 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 bad memory this nightmare
1: totally i mean you've got a re- i'm going to need the tissues again now mate oh,
0: sorry um
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've got literally a box full by, by my drawer now. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know how you haven't gone through that and actually described that so well, because it's quite niche, that bit, that gap there of the trust, which makes me, again, emotional, because losing trust, going with that fear thing is so scary, feeling like the very people that are helping you are against you. I mean, I remember my sister's boyfriend being like, it's kind of a bit of a paradox. It's a paradox because you thought we were talking about you all the time, but we were talking about you all the time because we were trying yeah. to save your life. Yeah. But my theories, my conspiracies, my delusions were so unwell. And I, I remember being like, so was it a bit like a surprise party? He was like, yeah, kind of like a surprise party. <laughs> And that, that kind of helped me. The doctors, I mean, I was given the most, except think of the most eccentric circus ringmaster doctor you could ever think of that pulled me through this illness. And even this, I was like, no, no, you can't, this can't be my doctor. How do I know central London? So I've grown up in Brixton my whole life. I've known London. And why am I in this road that I've never heard of in this central part of London that I've never been to with this kind of hospital that is a halfway house between a hospital and a travel lodge? What is going on? I remember one day having a-
0: Laura. Laura, it's exactly how you would have written it in in, in in a book. This is this is the most disturbing part here. It's you know exactly how like, how you, know, how like, you would you have written the character.
1: You know why you can't tell me this though? Because one of my things, which I think I wasn't at that theory, because you re- you realise that the, theory, the more the medication comes off, the more you live with everything, the more the memories settle and everything gets filed. New theories kind of appear that, appear to you, and new memories. And I remember I was like. But one of them was that I wrote it all. Of course I did. <laughs> it was all... A dream. Oh, God. I but I remember having a wee. Yeah, it'd be like, you deserve this for those stupid stories. Your, this is your character's <laughs> ultimate revenge to come back to get you. Your 10-year-old Darcy Burdock characters come back to get you. I was having a wee on the toilet once in the um, psychiatric ward. And I remember thinking, this is really bad. Because you do have that. Thank God I had humour still. I had my core person being like... Okay, I just did many of that moment that where you kind of look up and you go, whoever is doing this, whatever, enough now. I hear yeah. you now, enough. I'm not with my baby. I'm bleeding in um, groups therapy on the chair, like being 13 again when your period first starts in school yeah. and you are embarrassed, you know. And then I just see this, like, handprint, like, really high up, too high for a person to be able to get to, like, in oh. my toilet yeah. room. yeah. And I'm just like, I have to get out of this place. It's
0: terrifying, yeah. I
1: have to get out. And that's when the trust things... So with that, recovery is based... What I'm trying to say is the real medicine that fixed me is love. Mm. 100%. I had to trust. People that love you become like mirrors and they go, this is who you are. Yeah. And you have to trust that they can see that in you because you have lost everything you've got a million and one voices whether it be voices or delusions or theories and all it is is fear and when I look back to that person when people say mental illness is weak I'm like no 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 all your body is doing is believing it is an immediate threat and danger and is trying to save yourself and the scenario to try and save my baby So, when I look back and I think, this is not weak, this was fighting and clawing and raging the entire time. Of course, now I know that fighting is the worst thing to do. And actually, I've learned this technique called floating. So, we float past it. Um, But I'm acceptance has been amazing for my recovery and letting what it really is. I mean, I was going back to the doctors and um, to the hospital, sorry. And then they said to me, we knew you'd get better because you had support and family. And many people don't. And that's when I realised this can get really dark if you haven't got that. And really, that is just about someone saying, throw your delusions at me. Throw it at me. Let me validate you and reassure you and say it's okay. Have the patience, the time to to say whatever you need to say. My mum not getting hurt that I accused her of being in love with her her sausage dog. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for example. And my sister says to me now, she's like, I wish you told a few other people what we thought of them, you know, in that time. <sighs> I, oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, the humour's been amazing medicine for me too. So
0: I love that. You've got a brief past that, you know, the dream is when we get to that age where we're allowed to just tell people what we really think. You, you got a quick pass of that <laughs> early did. on to go. You've <laughs> got a few months or a few weeks of now. letting people know.
1: Yeah, and you, you, yeah, totally, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Actually, yes, and so with the, and with the writing, I, I think it's strange because. I think, like, what I'm talking to you now on is my computer. This is full, was full, with children's books and characters, all happy endings and Mm -hmm. normal mundane family life. And I was like, if I put one word of what has happened in my horrible, horrible brain down onto this, it's going to infect everything in the wires in the system and I'm never going to be the same again. And I, I actually thought this the other day, when I think of what my illness looks like, sometimes it's so sneaky, it's not... A, it's not a big you know block. It's not a mass. It's not smoke. It changes all the time. And then I realised, came to this really cool thing when I was like, no, actually, when people go, your mental illness, it's not you. It's not you. It's like, no, it is me. Yeah, it is me. And I look after that, and I embrace it. When my the day my book came out, I felt like I was walking down the aisle with my illness, arm in arm, yeah. like. I am here because you were just trying to help me. You were my alarm system ringing. I didn't ask you. I didn't do anything wrong. like. And I spent so long pushing it away when, of course, I had to process it and I had to accept it. And now I walk alongside it and I believe that's why I've stayed well and steady and stable. Better than, I was better than that person I was before because I have all this knowledge, as shitty as it is. Yeah. <laughs> I have that. And that is Pretty cool wisdom to learn in your thirties and, and as a mom.
0: Yeah, I completely agree, and I think it's very clear what an important book. What have I done is for you as 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 a person to to, to have that kind of to have put it all into your computer to have, have have allowed it into the world, so it isn't some deep dark secret. Acknowledgement is the key part in all of this, but then also for others to experience it, but hearing this also makes me realise or kind of want to ask how important was lipstick as a book? <laughs> Cause that is you've, you, you, you didn't lose it. Do you know what I mean? You didn't, th- this experience didn't get rid of that part of you that writes these beautiful child, you know, in, 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 in stories stories that, that are positive and wonderful that didn't go away in all of this. So as much as it must've been important, to write, what have I done? It must have meant the world to write lipstick as well, right?
1: I'm glad this isn't being filmed because I'm crying, boy. I am crying. I think it's because we're friends as well in real life, but I am crying. Um, uh, There's one book called um, Butterfly Brain that came out actually, which is so strange because I wrote that book when, uh, it was actually a play and I wrote it when I was, when up before sorry all of this happened to me and then I did, was too unwell to go and see it it went on stage and I couldn't see it and then my editor wow. of my book went along on her own and watched it and said I want to turn this into a book for you so because it was only on for a short period weirdly the book is about a little it's a uh why can't I remember the word a cautionary tale about a little boy that falls, that always leans back on his chair and falls over and his head splits and he loses his dreams and his emotions, but he, he, and his imagination. And as he's gathering everything back, he has a butterfly that guides him. He realizes there's one bit that he can't get to, which is his trauma, which is the fact that his mum had died. Huh. seeing that book get illustrated and getting made when I was unwell and these illustrations coming through I forgot you know nothing all your priorities go out of the window nothing matters you know I thought you're why are you trying to be an ambassador for YMCA when you're in a psychiatric ward Laura please why are oh, you yeah. trying to be celebrating in the, um, um, international woman's day on and mother's day because you know I got I woke up hospitalized on mother's day wow <laughs> What are you doing on Mother's Day, International Women's Day, writing a book about body positivity, trying to be some ambassador for some charity and meanwhile trying to hide the fact that you are having a psychotic episode because you've had a baby and trying to be a children's author. Ah, I love kids. Meanwhile, not wanting to have your own baby. It was felt so insidious and sick to me and messed up. So seeing these pages come back, I was like, oh my, it felt like I'd almost subconsciously sort of written the book that Jet could have if I didn't make it, which is just, you know, children's books have this real, uh, basically, my point I'm getting to is never again am I going to try and pretend. That doesn't mean I'm going Tim Burton Gothic, but never again am I going to try and pretend to a child that the world is just bright
0: Mm.
1: because the brightness gets so much more glorious when you know the darkness too.
0: That's perfect, yeah. Hundred percent.
1: My books are going to be better now because I'm going to make sure I do that job.
0: Yeah, it's 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 weird how experiences can change what your focus is in your in your own output, what you want to do. Rather than because again, in music, in literature, and everything else, as soon as you're part of the industry, the focus is I want to get a book out. Like, how mad would that be? I want to be able to get a book out. Like, that's mad. <laughs>
1: I love the way when you you say it. I want to be able to get a book out. So who's going to give me this chance? Yeah, exactly.
0: It's nuts. How mad
1: would
0: that be? Yeah, but, but, but rather than necessarily thinking about what you want to put across, obviously it always starts with a first story that you want to tell. And that's normally, I've got this story, I've had this idea, and not necessarily picking apart what are the underlying messages and what's the... That it's more just I've got this amazing idea. Here's this story I need to share, and I love that this horrific experience again has found these these positives for you. That you want to go. Here's what I want to be putting into every story, and here's yeah, here's the tones and and, and lessons I want kids to have because it would have equipped you. Well, in a way, if you'd known more of the ups and downs rather than... Why
1: didn't anybody tell me? Yeah. (laughs) Why did nobody tell me? Why? I I can't believe that I was messing around with a protractor at school, which I still don't know how to use, please. Yeah. When someone didn't go... By the way, there's some big feelings out there that you might one day experience. There's illnesses, there's states of mind that are new, and they're going to be really scary. But here are some really basic tools that you can apply, you can learn. Because... You trying to sit there and learn CBT, for example, when you're so poorly, when you think that the teddy bears have cameras in their eyes, how can you learn that? You know, and 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 this is the other shock is, you know, in my group, you know, the group at the hospital that I was in, people are just exact, as I said, they're like me, but they some some of them, one kid that was in my class, he just smoked a spliff and that was it, my class, like it was school. He smoked a spliff and that was it. I'm like 19 years old. And I think that could have been any one of my friends. When I got better, I got a referral from the NHS to speak to the leading psychiatrist in my illness, Dr. Ian Jones, and he's based at the University of Cardiff. And he's the leading psychiatrist of my illness, postpartum psychosis and bipolar disorder. And I had all these questions written out to him of like theories of how I ended up as unwell as I did. And um, I just said, you know, why? Like, why me? And he just said, well, it just wasn't your day. And I was like... Okay. And that helped me so much because it, it reminded me that anything bad that happens to anybody, it's not your, it's just, it's just life. Like, and and that instead of making me feel like I was chosen or picked or selected, or it's my destiny or my own fault.
0: Or punishment is the worst punishment. one that will always play in your mind that something you've done has led you to this, and yeah. and then
1: shame and guilt yeah. and everyone knows about you. and Thought, oh no, this is j- I'm not immune from this. What made me think I was immune, and that made me feel actually comforted and reassured because I remind reminded myself, like this pandemic, we're all going through this, and that sounds cliche too, but it is true. So if I feel scared, I go, oh god, I feel scared. I think no, everyone feels scared.
0: Mm. So so. Uh- I think it's also worth noting that from your experiences there, how important it is to fund the NHS as best we can and support the NHS because it does feel like if you didn't have an amazing partner, an amazing mum, parents, family in general, it could have got even worse. And there's so many people out there who all they've got is the NHS and that's terrifying because... It is overstretched. The the, the reason in the birth process that you will have been kind of uninformed, kind of there not knowing what the fuck's going on, is because they're having to bounce between so many different things at once. You've not got that one person who's (laughs) taken the time to go, do you understand what we're doing now? Do you understand what's going on and what's happened and what you're going through? They don't have that person because they can't afford that person and there's too many people that need these services. So yeah, I think it's, it's crazy how much they can do and important to, to support them as best we can. Again, these kind of stories will always get twisted to be an attack on the failing NHS or whatever else. It's like, no, it's the complete opposite. It, it feels like a weird example, but I did a post earlier in this week. The, um the bin men are on strike around my way at the moment and have been for a month or so. And they've just announced it's going to be another month because of, they're, they're trying to force pay cuts upon them and there's rubbish everywhere. It's absolute mayhem and that's why I support the strike because they're fucking essential. They're an absolute yeah. essential service and we've seen that through the pandemic. The yeah. fact that they're trying to cut their wages at this point after this year we've had where we can't leave the house and they're they're yeah. they're keeping everything under control – these things should be highlighting how important they are rather than I've seen a load of things around my way that people are like, oh, come on, it's gone too far now. Like, they need to come and get our rubbish. It's like, yeah, you see how important these guys that you look down upon are because they're bin men. They're lower than us. It's like, no.
1: And also the rubbish is interesting because you can, the key and the rubbish is interesting because you can actually physically see it. Right. So it's spilling onto your street. People don't like that because, Oh, it's not something at the back of your mind that you can't imagine. It's a right old mess there. You don't it's on your doorstep and you can see it. So that's, quite an easy protest there for the bin men really good yeah. good, good one and for them here's,
0: here's what we're worth but again as i said it's 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 w- the other people that we've seen the value of in this time is the nhs and oh um,
1: unbelievably, they're another so. one
0: who are being just shat upon by our government at the moment and it's it's st- stunning that there isn't more outrage the, there is some outrage and hopefully it will grow, grow and grow but it's stunning that there isn't more after we were all on our doorsteps applauding
1: I agree. I totally agree. And I think, uh, and it just goes uh, beyond maternal mental health. You know, it's also, I mean, dads also, you know, can get depression and anxiety after birth. But I mean, I'm not just talking about maternal, but seven minutes to speak to a GP in that seven minutes, this might be the first time a kid or anybody has gone and got the courage to say, I am struggling, I need help to evaluate a whole life plan and what factors are coming into that person's life to make them feel the way they do and then their options to move forward. That is not a lot of time to pull your guts out, especially if you're somebody that is words, for example, or expressing yourself doesn't come naturally. I yeah. had that on my side that I didn't mind putting myself out there a bit to say, yeah. really need help. Like, And that's still the bravest thing I've ever done is doing that. I can't imagine. I would just say, keep going back. Now I say with anything like this, treat it like suspicious... You know, unattended unattended luggage at a train station or an airport. It could be nothing, but yeah. just go back and if you're not getting the diagnosis that you think you need, just keep going back. Get as many opinions as you possibly can.
0: I I, I love the idea of 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 how much you specifically would have got into those seven minutes just really <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh don't worry I start the it. clock
0: start <laughs> the clock I'm uh, ready to go on?
1: no no you cheated you cheated you coughed so that's actually my time I've actually seen uh one of the GPs actually that saw me treated she was just having a cake oh in the cafe I moseyed over there didn't I And she said to me, she was like, I will never forget you as a patient because you were, well, I was so poorly, you could see it in my eyes. But people say my illness is rare. One in 500 is not that rare. And if the more I've spoken about this, nearly every woman I can think of, the woman even that look like they have all their shit together in their leopard print leggings, their red lipstick with their buggy, their avocado on toast and their manicures, they're still going, no, this is really hard. Why isn't anybody speaking about this. So I'm just the postpartum police now, boy, I am on patrol.
0: I love it because it's so important for people to hear if nothing else to ease the shame. Cause I think as a mum or a dad, the second you have a moment of thinking, Oh, what have I done? Or, Oh my God, I'm not sure I want this. The guilt and shame. It's so natural. It's such a natural thing to go through at some point in the process those thoughts will come in and the shame that is around them and the, the 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 discomfort in sharing those thoughts is what will make it spiral and snowball and become an even bigger problem so the more people break down the illusion of what parenthood is and say look it's going to be tough at points you know more likely than not it's going to be so you're going to think it's worth it you know but there will be stuff that you have to get through and that's
1: You've nailed yeah. it. Your your insight on that is absolutely wild because that's exactly what it is. There's you feel like you can't if you say that you're a bad person, you're not maternal, yeah. you're all these things. The shame is actually out of all the symptoms. I I mentioned the insomnia, took the last to leave, but the shame is actually the biggest illness symptom of them all yeah. of all the illnesses because it is and it's absolutely useless. It doesn't serve yeah. anybody.
0: Yeah. There's two more things I want to talk about. I want to talk about Zombie Mum quickly because we're on a podcast and you do a podcast. And I also want to talk, most importantly, about your mum playing D&D and and having her Dungeons & Dragons um, (laughs) stories and battles going on. So which one do you want to tackle first?
1: Um, Let's just go with order because that Mum will be a fun one to end on because I've got something to tell you back. Right, so Zombie (laughs) Mum... First of all, annoyingly, I cry a lot less on my own podcast. (laughs) So Zombie Mum is really just, I guess, an extension of what we've just spoken about. Um, And it's just a a way to normalise these discussions around mental health and parenthood. I was thinking the book has been great for me, but um, I kind of forgot. I wrote that on my phone, 270,000 words, because I had a baby on my chest. And I thought... How's someone going to read this? The beauty of a podcast, finally I've seen what you're doing, Pip. It's actually very (laughs) clever. You can get into people's brains really quickly. And if you have that person that's going through something difficult, they might not have the energy or the capacity to pick up a book, but they might be able to listen to a 40-minute podcast. And if on that they hear, you know, our friend Paloma saying... I was really really sick and poorly after I had my baby. I felt like my love with my partner was destroyed and all of these things. And yet you see her on o- on doing performing at the O2 on TV. That might make somebody go, "Oh, it's not just me." And as you said yeah. the word shame and that's the it's really important to listen, but it's actually so important when you're poorly for some for someone to listen, but it's so important for someone to go, "Yeah, no, me too. I had that as well." And look at me now, I'm okay. And that's the importance, I think, of what the
0: podcast is. I've had a, I've realised a big thing. I've, I've, as we're recording this, I've been doing a whole month of mental health podcasts, um, about the pandemic. And one of the key things that has come out of it for me is realising that, obviously, as we know, it's really important to talk to people if you're going through these struggles, to share these struggles. But it's also okay to acknowledge that sometimes people aren't ready to talk. So sometimes, listening to the conversations that you aren't ready to have can be a great first step in these things. And that's what I love about a zombie mum and any of these conversations. It's, it might be f- f- for those people who are struggling, but no matter how many times they read it, they're not ready to tell their partner about it, to tell their, a, a, you know, a, a random therapist that they've never met and they've got uh, seven minutes to get into it. But that first step could be, as you say, hearing Paloma talk about it, hearing, N- N- nikesh Shukla talking about it or mylene class or any of these amazing people who you may have some connection to or reverence towards hearing them talk about it can be an amazing step in your own process in coping with it so yeah
1: well you've just nailed it as well because i uh when i talk about my illness i really can get really rashy and f- i flush mm. and hear it from you from the beginning saying that you have your stutter or sharing that with me straight away put me at ease. Yeah. And that straight away makes me feel like you, you've shared a vulnerability with me. And actually, yeah. the joke of it is, I like you 10 times more because you did that. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, think yeah, this yeah. is a nice guy who gets yeah. it, who's sharing the vulnerability. And I think that's the importance of it. And I don't know why we're all thinking we have to be guarded. And the joke of it is... I felt more chilled then, you felt more chilled, then, and then the whole thing gets taken down 10 pegs. So yeah. it's like if everybody just gives a little here and there, actually can take everything off such loud volume the whole time. Um, so that's that's the, exactly it, what you just said. Yes. And I from all perspectives, lived experiences. And then my mum, right. Um, yes. I've got, actually, I've got a little bit of a recording, actually, if you want to hear a little bit. of do so I? My, my mum is an intense gamer. Do you know the game Assassin's Creed?
0: Yes, she's, I do.
1: She's num- she was the number one most feared pirate in the whole world. And how she got to number one was she found out her opponent was number two. and her 40- My mum stalked her opponent, found out when her 40th birthday was so that she could plan her attack because she knew, as she quite rightly was, would be celebrating. And that's how my mum became most feared pirate.
0: I love it. So
1: my mum's intense on Dungeons and Dragons. I she let me sit in on a game just the other day. So they have a you know a dungeon master. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh right. Here and we go. You're uh, heading from the north shore back through Flint, basically towards, towards the farm, right? Yeah. And, uh, give me a give
1: me a. Oh, one, no, one. it's not. This thought is. I'll find it. There's so many videos. I sat on it. So I've got a character. I'm going in to do like a secret job. But um, I'm actually studying her at the moment because I want to do something with it because it's just out of control. My mum's like, I've actually caught my mum with teenagers in the back of her car that she's collected to help her, you know, heighten her chances of going to more Pokemon gyms. Because she's yeah. a massive Pokemon um, player as well. She's given herself half right, so she walks around with that cl- that little clippy thing. I love it. So what I shared with you was that, what did I say? That she was exhausted because she'd won the battle or something. You'd be pleased to know we won the battle.
0: I love it. I love that there's so many different, again, I think a lot of people have found different weird things that they're into during the pandemic. And the idea of people playing D&D over Zoom and stuff like that is just
1: Oh my God. Right. No, listen to what my mum said in her own words. When lockdown happened, all of us got locked in, but what D&D did is it gave me a key. I
0: love it. I love it. She's completely right. It's it's adorable and wonderful.
1: When I was um, actually in the epidural of giving, I thought this, I was there giving birth to my grandson, my mum's grandson. My mum was catching Pokemon. I remember looking over and her face just in this illuminated Blue Sheen, and she was just catching Pokemon straight
0: up. I remember uh, when that first came out. My mum messaged me. I was, I was just at home, and my mum was like, hey, "Do you fancy going for a walk? Ever catch up? I've, I'm passing your way." I was like, "All right, that'd be lovely." And I realised it was purely because she was out catching Pokemon. Your mum um, does it as well. She she did. I don't think she's doing it at the moment. I was about to say, but she was really into it I met a your mum.
1: She seems extremely healthy. Not like my mum who could get caught in such a disturbing web. <laughs> she your would mum's love to brilliant.
0: Hear that. But, but we walked along playing it and it came up with a warning to say that you shouldn't play it while driving because my yeah. mum's tiny and I'm six foot four, so I was walking at a fast pace. Oh. The pace that she was going to keep up with me, it made it made the app think that she was d- 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 driving. I was like, Mum, I'll, I I'll slow that. down. I'll I slow down, that. it's okay.
1: That reminds me, that's what it's like when I run to Hugo's playlist. If I run to Hugo's running playlist, his cool-down tracks are my absolute hardest <laughs> momentum. Like, when I'm like, I listen to his, like, slow music and I'm like... <gasps> <laughs>
0: I love it well this has been an absolute joy mate it really Um, has it's always lovely to catch up with you and I'm so pleased that you're where you are now Mm. it's it's horrible to hear what you had to go through but as you've kind of said it's it's given you so much I guess and it's it's yeah allowed you to grow even more as a person so yeah it's a beautiful thing
1: now I know why you've been doing these podcasts because you've been learning quite a lot you're very good at this
0: I do my best. But, I mean, Whoa. actually, to wrap things up, how good is, B- is Blind Boy? I know we touched upon it, but...
1: Oh, my God. I've never had a crush on such a carrier bag in my life. Yeah. There was one thing that he said. Well, first of all, that's a, he's a person to say that leads by example. He tells you what he went through and then you go, yeah. oh, that isn't that wild, that's normal. But yeah. he has that beautiful way where he describes neuroplasticity of like an old path that's overgrown and that you can create yeah. a new path anytime you like. That just helped me visualise it so much. But, you know, he's a normal guy that smokes a vape, just giving wisdom. Yeah.
0: And just the most calming voice in podcasting, I think. I think he needs more awards for just... I could could listen to him for hours. Oh, I do listen to him for hours. So
1: do I. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I, I think he's one who's got that perfect balance of he's just normal, he's, he's working class, he speaks normally, but he did study... Th- th- Psychotherapy and all these different things. So he's also coming from an informed position, and he continues to read on these things. My, sure. fa- I've said it a few times, but one of my f- f- favourite nights out was when I did the podcast live in Dublin, and Blind Boy came along as a guest, and me, bl- Blind Boy, and a mate of his who's a historian, j- 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 just went out for f- for late pints, which apparently is a thing in Ireland. It's finding the pubs who will just sneak you in, and it'll be closed, <laughs> but you can have late pints. And me and my two mates who do a podcast called Hardcore Listing, we just sat there listening to to those two teach us Irish history. Because they genuinely, again, normal lads having a laugh, but also they've done their research. It's not just, I'm going to ramble nonsense, I like the sound of my own voice. It's, I like the sound of these historical facts that haven't had enough exposure. And yeah.
1: So it's basically like rather than just drinking and chatting shit, you're taking vitamins as well.
0: Yeah. It was like having a beer with a podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It is that. And also he doesn't claim to be a super expert. He gets things wrong or he fluffs things up or he he forgets things. And I think, no, this is in your bones. You're not just reciting off some book. That's the trouble is quite often the people that know this stuff then try and contain it. How the hell do you try and contain anxiety? It's sprawling. Yeah. And he does it.
0: I was writing uh, l- l- last night for Pod Bible. Um, I was writing about Akala, and the bit I wrote was: as soon as you hear, it's going to sound stupid, but as soon as you hear Akala speak, you know one thing: this boy reads because he's <laughs> he's he's got he's got the information that hasn't come from you know a a, a translucent Instagram uh, sure. post or a little infographic, uh, or it's not come from you know, a podcast where people have talked about it and you now think you're knowledgeable. A Carla, Blind Boy, people like this, they speak on stuff that they've read thousands of hours on and really educated themselves rather than, I've got a quotable fact. I know one fact about this and here's my quotable thing. And yeah, but isn't that the power? Reporting. Because
1: when I talked, I only found out about Blind Boy, Bryony Kimmings, who also suffered with a similar maternal mental illness. She's actually on Zombie Mum, but um, she told me to listen to it. Podcasts yeah. were a massive part of my recovery. Books were a yeah. massive part of my recovery. And if that's the thing that you love, I thought I would never, my brain was too ill to get back to loving all of those things again. Actually, going back to that instinct, that inner you, if that's in your blood... It, w- it will help you like the recovery it will get there somehow it will get to you
0: i love it it's beautiful and it's been a joy to to talk you and too. you you look and sound like the oh. best you you've ever been oh, so it's no. uh, it's I'm bloody snuffly. wonderful to see <laughs>
1: oh i really hope the binmen uh, get what they need
0: yeah so, so do i up the oh. union
1: <laughs> <laughs> thanks for making me cry
0: My apologies. I must have needed
1: it. I'm going to go and do the school pick-up like an absolute mess.
0: (laughs) Right, I'm going to press stop.
1: Thank you so much. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces.
0: There we go. That was Laura Dockrell. I um, had a really f- funny thing after the recording of that. Her 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 hubby, Hugo, of Maccabee's fame and numerous other things, is a bit of a, a legend in, in my eyes and previous guest on the podcast. Um, as you heard at the start, he'd set her up for the recording of the podcast and got her all, all set up and then he'd gone out. And weirdly, while he was at his studio, he was going online and searching for D.I.'s, which is a bit of kit for in the studio. And one of the second-hand places he found had a di had a, a, a di rack for sale and written on it in dan Lysak's handwriting dan Lysak versus scroobius pip so it was our our old tour to a di rack yeah i thought that was quite weird on the same day that this all happened like i've not c- caught up with hugo in ages and then all of a sudden i'm chatting to his missus in his living room and then uh popping up on his google searches for for kit weird anyway i hope you all enjoyed that i've got loads of good podcast c- coming up. It's really nice to get into some full conversations again. I've recorded 3 in the last last couple of days and I loved doing the the wedge your header episodes obviously, but they were shorter chats and they were so specific on a subject. So it's been great to deep dive with numerous amazing people. Um so yeah, loads to come. I might even have a couple of bonus episodes of, of this month. Um I'm telling you guys that as much as I'm telling Buddy Peace that who who edits this will be the first to hear that breaking news that there might be a few bonus episodes so that'll probably stress him out but um, he's the best in the game I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times uh, Buddy Peace Margate's finest the best producer in podcasting um, so yeah, I'll see you all next week until then, stay sane and stay safe ta-ta